This morning's first reading comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This morning's second reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others." In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in, very, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here ends the reading. Morning, folks. It's great to see you, whether you're here, uh, and it's great to have you with us if you are watching online. Let's begin uh, in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you will speak into our lives through this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's um, 
a couple of months now since uh, Rupert spoke to those of us who um, are speaking in this sermon series and told us that we would be speaking on the fruits of the Spirit. And I knew I would be um, one of the preachers, but I hadn't checked to see uh, which of the uh, fruit of the Spirit I would be speaking on. And um, I feel a bit like someone who's been standing in a station waiting for a train to arrive and waiting to see which carriages will pull up on the platform uh, adjacent to where I'm standing. So the carriages of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness have whistled past me. But the carriages of gentleness and self-control have stopped by me. And I'm really pleased about that because I have always felt that this particular fruit uh, or characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, uh, is one that um, it pays me well to focus on particularly in my relations with my colleagues uh, and with my family and my friends. So... This morning, I hope that we will learn together how we can imitate Jesus' qualities and emulate him as we live our lives and as these fruit are manifest in our lives. I just want to say something, though, uh, before we get going, uh, just to make it crystal clear. This is not about us securing our salvation with God. And this is not about us winning God's favour. Jesus has done everything that could possibly need to be done to make those two things a reality by dying for us on the cross. He has ensured that we are in the right place with God. He has demonstrated that God loves us no matter what. So this is more about our response to him. What do we do in response to that awesome love, brothers and sisters? How do we respond to this? How should we live in the light of that, in obedience and in service? So before we get into gentleness and self-control, Let's just have a quick um, reminder of what the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, for those of you who are preaching on future Sundays, I have a piece of advice. Because we always preach at the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock. Never, ever, ever ask your vicar for advice after you've preached your 9 o'clock sermon before you go in to do the 11 o'clock sermon. Uh, I I naively did that, and Rupert pointed out to me that we are not talking about the fruits of the Spirit, but we are talking about a single fruit. So as we think about this, it's not that we can pick and choose between love or kindness or peace. It's that the fruit of the Spirit produces all nine of these qualities in our lives. So, the illustration that I'm about to give you 
has some flaws, but I hope nonetheless that it's of some use. Um, Tomorrow, my sister and I sell my parents' house, which they moved into after their honeymoon 60 years ago or thereabouts. Uh, The completion happens tomorrow morning. It's obviously a big moment for us. We spent all of our childhood in that house until we left home. It had a beautiful garden, and my father's passion in his life was gardening. And at my father's funeral, when I delivered his eulogy, I took my life in my hands somewhat, and as part of the eulogy, I listed all of the fruit and the vegetables and other produce, maybe there isn't any other produce apart from fruit and vegetables, of the garden. So the fruit that we enjoyed, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, gooseberries, apples, plums, pears, and rhubarb. It turns out, in fact, that rhubarb is a vegetable, legally speaking, but apparently you're allowed to call it a fruit as well. Those fruits, which my earthly father cultivated in our garden, were a huge blessing to us as a family and to our neighbours and to our friends over those years. And I would argue that our heavenly father is seeking to produce fruit in us in a similar way, which can be a blessing to our friends, our colleagues and our family. And that, I think, is what Paul had in mind when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And he explained that as Christians, we have the Spirit in us, which enables this fruit to be there, and which enables this fruit to grow in us. And that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. But before we do that, I'm afraid we've got a little work to do. Because, of course, it turns out that these fruit, or these characteristics of the fruit that Paul described, he was using Greek words to describe. And as is so often the case, there's never one English word that captures what one of these Greek words means. So, the word that we translate as gentleness appears in the Greek as proutes. And it's a bit like a kind of a rugby ball in a scrum. It's very difficult to get hold of. It's sort of slipping around and we're trying to grab it to work out what that word means. Um, And it can mean a few things, but here's some of the things that this word captures. It's meekness. It's humbleness. In Greek writings, it's a character where strength and gentleness are perfectly combined. Uh, Someone at the nine o'clock service mentioned to me after the sermon that for her, it's always captured the image of the the horses in the Austrian uh, equestrian schools, which are incredibly powerful and in fact are stallions, but have been perfectly trained to be controlled, to have that self-control and that gentleness despite that power. It's the spirit 
in which we ought to go out about our business and answer our fellow men. As Aristotle said, it's an ability to bear reproaches and slights with moderation. It's being free from bitterness and contentiousness. It's a tranquility and stability of the spirit. It's the opposite of pridefulness. And ultimately, it's the virtue in which our relationships with others become perfect and complete. And here's the funny thing. That word proutes can also be translated self-control, which takes us to our last word, the word that we in many of our Bibles translate as self-control, the Greek word, which I can't really pronounce properly, egkratia, I think it's pronounced, which, as I say, we translate as self-control, but um, Plato in Greek writings would have talked about being um, mastery of our pleasures and desires. Um, I think of Joseph when he had been betrayed by his brothers and encountered them after all of those years, and he might, when they came to Egypt and discovered that he was their brother and he might have had them thrown in jail, he might have erupted with them, but instead we read that Joseph controlled himself and encountered his brothers in love. It's learning to resist the temptation to let rip. It's learning to not do what we know we shouldn't do. I think that there's a bit of a difference with these last two characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit from the others. You know, I think they're the tip of the iceberg. I think they're particularly what people see of us when we have those other characteristics of the, of the Spirit within us. That love, that patience, that kindness bubbles up into this tip of the iceberg, this thing that people see, this gentleness, this self-control. So let's bring this to life, shall we? Let's look at Jesus and let's see what his life has to teach us. I must say that through the years, I've always felt that our calling as Christians is to have a relationship with God on this earth and that that's what he wants of us more than anything else to have that relationship and I do think that that I do still think that that is true but I guess what I'm learning is that there are consequences of that relationship and one of the consequences of that relationship is that we seek to imitate Jesus and that if you like is part of our obedience and part of our service and that's why I've chosen today's second passage. So let's have a look in detail at the Philippians passage which Kiff read for us. So for those of you who have iPhones uh, or Bibles, it's Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 onwards. It is also on our screens for those who are in church this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to read it verse by verse and make a few comments on each verse. So Paul begins, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, 
if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So this is Paul's call to how we should live with one another. This, if you like, is that tip of the iceberg. This is our response to what Jesus has done for us. And already in it, we hear those echoes of gentleness, don't we? That tenderness, that compassion he's calling from us. And he goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And you'll remember when we were looking at that passage in Galatians, when Paul contrasts the way of the world with the fruit of the Spirit, that he talks about selfish ambition and the contrast between the two. And I have to say that when I look at that list of uh, the characteristics of the world, giving myself the benefit of the doubt that uh, debauchery and some of the other lists that are listed there are less of an issue for me, it is selfish ambition that I know I come back to over and over again as the area which Christ needs to work on in me. And I know that I can be sharp-elbowed at work. I know that I can be self-seeking. I think of the, um, and I may have shared this uh, in previous times when I've spoken here, I think of uh, the story of two pastors standing at the front speaking in church once, um, and one pastor in front of the congregation turning to the other and saying, if you knew what I was thinking now, you would spit in my face. And I know that many of my thoughts are like a sewer. And if people could see my selfish ambition, um, see me as I really was, um, they would be turned considerably away from me. I would not have that gentleness. They would know that that gentleness was not in my heart. And then finally in this passage, this bit of the passage, Paul goes on to say, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. To what extent do we do that? Where does the balance lie in terms of thinking about our own interests, in terms of pursuing our own interests? I have to say that COVID has been a real eye-opener for me because I know that over and over I am far more concerned about people not infecting me, what I do to avoid that, than bothering about my own behaviour and the risk of me infecting other people. It just brings it out. I look to my own interests. I don't look to the interests of others. And then Paul turns to Jesus. Your attitude, he says, should be the same as that Christ Jesus. Here we have it, our call to imitate Jesus. And this, folks, is what Paul says he is like. Who, being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now we know the agony of the cross. We know what a long and painful death it entailed. But have we thought about the humiliation of the cross? Have we thought about Jesus' willingness to be there for all to see in his pain and his agony, nailed up on the cross? Have we thought about how Jesus, as Jesus humbled himself, we could be seeking to humble ourselves and to be gentle and to be self-controlled? And we see this reflected throughout Jesus' ministry. Think of what Jesus said of himself that is reflected in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And yet, Jesus combined this gentleness with power. It was that Jesus who overturned the stalls of the money changers in the temple, who threw them out. But at the same time, it was that Jesus who spoke gently to the woman who was caught in adultery, who the Pharisees wanted to stone, and who forgave her. It was that Jesus who wept when his friend Lazarus died. Many of you know, I think, that my day job is as a headhunter. And a lot of our clients get us to do psychological assessments on our candidates as they're considered for roles. And the most popular test we use is called the Hogan test, um, otherwise known, aka, the dark side test. So what the Hogan test does is it tests how we behave when we're under pressure. And I would argue that we're probably all quite good at gentleness and self-control when stuff's okay. But it's when we're under pressure, it's when we're stressed, it's when someone's irritating us, it's when things aren't going as we want, that we start to fall down on the fruit of the spirit and we start to go back to the bad old stuff, that selfish ambition or whatever it might be for us. And funnily enough, later on in Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, he covers this. So a couple of chapters on from the passage we've looked at, we read him saying, I plead with, forgive my pronunciation here, I plead with Eudoia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you to help these women 
who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So clearly there is division and clearly Paul is sort of feeling for how he should advise the church in Philippi to respond to that situation. Well, what does he say? What does he say about gentleness and self-control in such situations? Well, we go on to read, he says, well, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice and let your gentleness be evident to all. He says to those two ladies, and he says to the church more widely in Philippi, and he says to us, and he goes on to say, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And turning to myself, I know that this was a fitting place for that train to draw up, for those carriages to arrive in front of me. Because I know that it's this area of gentleness where I have an opportunity to witness to my colleagues, particularly at the moment, and my friends and my family. And I said earlier that we can translate gentleness in many ways. And for me, the words I come back to are graciousness and reasonableness and winsomeness. And I know that as I seek to have those qualities in stressful situations, I know that that's where I can attempt to imitate Christ and witness to him. So as we come to the end of our series on the fruit of the Spirit, I would encourage us all to do a little audit now of how we measure up against these nine characteristics. Maybe we could ask a friend of ours how we stand up against each of these. Maybe we could ask our friend what our direction of travel is at the moment. And let's remember, God is not condemning us for where we are, for how we measure up at the moment. He loves us as we are. He's merely looking for us to change. He's helping us by his Holy Spirit in us to grow in this fruit of the Spirit and hence in these characteristics. So maybe we should do this spiritual 360 self-assessment. And you know, the thing is that immediately after that passage uh, that Kif read for us in Philippians, Paul talks about that and he talks about how God can help us because he goes on to say, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So let's remember that. We're the clay. He's the potter. We're the jar. 
which he wants to put his treasure in. And we're his workmanship. Let's remember that the whole purpose of the Spirit is that his fruit is in our lives, that we haven't been left as orphans. Shall we pray? Some of you may know this uh, this chorus uh, from the 1990s, I think. I'm going to pray using the chorus. Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Take me deeper into you. Make my flesh life melt away. Make me like a precious stone, crystal clear and finely honed. Life of Jesus shining through, giving glory back to you. Lord Jesus, we bow before you now. We prostrate ourselves before you now. We come before you and we invite you to be at work in us. Take us, Lord, on a journey, we pray, this Advent, a journey of growing in you and a journey of growing this fruit in our lives, Lord. We would change for you. We would live for you. So fill us afresh, we pray, and go on filling us with your Holy Spirit that we may live and work to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.